Welcome to People's Church Podcast. We're always in a tug of war with things that we need to let go of, and we'll be talking about that a little bit today, because we're going to talk about fresh hope throughout this series. And one of the areas that we need fresh hope in is in relationships. John 10.10 says, Jesus said this, my purpose is to live life in all its fullness. That's what your purpose is. He came to bring you that kind of living. We just heard this song that says, I'm happy and I'm free. Those are two powerful words, to be happy and to be free. But often we are hauling along the things from history and trying to do life with all of our energy going backward. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.9, message version, God, who got you started in this spiritual adventure, shares with us the life of his son and our master Jesus. He will never give up on you. Never forget that. So I'm glad you're here today. You may have forgotten that. You may have forgotten that there's a God that really does love you and that he is for you and created you with purpose and that you have a reason for this very moment and you will have reason for the rest of the moments that he graces you with in life. Oftentimes, we lose connection with him and his goodness. I hope that gets restored a bit with some fresh hope. One of the areas today is going to be certainly fresh hope for my relationships. This is the one of the great bleeders of life or the great feeders of life. Largely, the joy, the happiness of your life is going to be directly tied to the relational components of your life how well that they are functioning, the idea of how intimate they have become, how trusting, how kind of close you have been and with people. People in relationships, folk, it's all about that for joy and it's all about that for getting great meaning in life. So we want to talk about that and we're going to go over something that's very important. If you're going to get fresh hope in relationships, you're going to have to learn this process of letting it go. Just letting it go. And don't start singing that song in your head right now. <laughs> that will destroy anything I want to bring here today. Let it go, let it go. There we go. <laughs> Best I got. Letting things go is more of an art than a science. It's difficult to let things go, it's really difficult. Not because they're all bad, because they're not all bad. Sometimes even letting go of good things so you can have better things is hard. It's really difficult. It says this, Paul the Apostle, Philippians 3, 12 through 14. I've just taken a section of it and he says this. But this one thing I do, forget what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. So a lot in life just like that tug of war that wants to hook itself up to the other end of the rope. And it seems very manageable at the moment because you're a strong person, because you've got lots of strength. You've already made a mistake in trying to use your strength to try to carry the things that are gone, the things that need to be forgotten, the things that need to be left behind. The moment we take even the strategy of thinking we have enough strength to carry on, holding on to a lot of little deals throughout life. 
They just compound, and you saw what transpires on the stage. It's a matter of physics. You will end up in a place where your strength will be totally neutralized, and then it will be in reverse, and you will lose the tug of war in life. Relationships are a huge component in those things, hooking on to the other end of the rope. Because we're not good at releasing things. Here's a fact. I cannot relate to the present if I am still reacting to the past. You can't. You see, reaction is energy. To relate to the, to the present is going to take energy. To look forward to the future even exacts energy. You've only got a certain amount of energy. And many times we are wasting it looking back. Hauling along things that should have been let go of a long time ago. You see, the fact is, is we all go through this. We all have build these cycles. Nobody's really right in the whole process. But everything gets shut down. Conversations end. Because conflict is treated wrongly. Because we respond, and rather than responding to it, we, we are reacting to it. We are in reaction to those conflicts. The funny thing is, those conflicts build up through the years. And pretty soon you are hauling along a whole lot of things because you're still in reaction to the past. Here's three types of emotional garbage that we can collect in relationships. We rehearse our resentments. Resentments are something, of course, that we're all very familiar with. I resent that you, I resent that they, I resent that they're not meeting my need. I resent that they give more time over here. I resent that they've ignored me. I resent, there's no end to this. There is no end to it. We remember our regrets. We hold in memory the regrets more than we would remember maybe the times where there was reaffirmation and there was, there was actually more intimacy and understanding and trust. But we really start to remember our regrets. I regret that I made this decision. I regret that I'm in this friendship or this marriage. I regret. We remember our remorse. Uh, remorse is something of sort of that shame guilt thing like we just we just remember how we really feel so guilty and remorseful over what we've done what we've said how we've done it how long it's gone on what we didn't say what we should have said what we could have said so how do you let go of these things how do you let go of your past well we're going to start with this first I must let go of my grudges. You say, grudges? I don't have any grudges. Yes, you do. And yes, you've carried them. You've carried them against a neighbor. He walked on your lawn too many times. He parked and cut over on your lawn when he's trying to go pulling up into his driveway. You get a grudge going. Pretty soon that neighbor is all defined simply by this action rather than actually having any kind of layers in your eyes, their value comes down to one behavior that you hold a grudge against, as simple as having a neighbor. How about deeper grudges? Listen to this in Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander. He says, get rid of it. Let it go. Along with every form of malice, every form, more or less, Find no corner for this stuff in your mind, in your heart, in your emotion. Don't find any corners to store or stack or closets filled. 
Be kind and compassionate to one another. Then this word. We talk about it. Forgiving one another. Forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. It's powerful. It's a scripture that tells us that you have no excuse for holding any of this stuff. You say, but I've really been, I've been wrong very deeply. I should hold a grudge here. Let's understand the dynamics of holding a grudge. It's a one-up, one-down relationship. It's a prideful relationship because you're disconnected from how you had to be forgiven. You're disconnected from your own driving and walking on lawns. You're disconnected from your own actions. I must let go of grudges. Bible says in Job 5, verse 2, to worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish, senseless thing to do. More or less, the end of, component of actually spending energy backwards is shorter life. And certainly less energetic. And less strength to engage with today, the present world, the right now. And to pull out what is joyful because these filters control our view of each and every interaction. Job 18.4 says, you're only hurting yourself with your anger. We don't think of it that way, but you are. Your anger is a way of cutting off good things from your life. It doesn't welcome things, it pushes back on things. And you're only hurting yourself with your anger. It's an interesting thought that every time I say to somebody, you make me mad, I'm actually telling them how much power they have over me. You have so much power over me, you make me mad. When they can make you mad, they've got a control mechanism into your own emotions. And they're gonna spend that good energy on that emotion unless you somehow say, it's crazy for me to let anger like this rule my life because it will shorten my life and I'm only hurting myself with this. In the end, they move on and I'm stuck. So what is forgiveness? With that word, what is it? What does it really look like? Here's a great scripture, James 2.13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. More or less, the battle between the two, mercy and judgment, mercy wins. You want to win in your relationships? Judgment will cause it to lose. You saw that on the screen. Little judgments back and forth. Little judgments back and forth. Forgiveness is not conditional. It's not conditional. That's the first thing in understanding about forgiveness is that you cannot forgive and say, but here are all of the conditions. It's difficult. Forgiveness is not easy. In fact, it's very, very hard. How many know the name Corey Ten Boom? Some of you, many of you, okay. Corey Ten Boom was a lady that was uh, in Second World War in Amsterdam. Her father had a watch shop, her and her sister. 
lived there with her father and, uh, and mother. They began to hide Jews during the Second World War. To make a long story short, after some time, they were found out, arrested, and the whole family shipped off to some to prison, some to the camps. Corey and her sister Betsy went to the camps. Their father died in prison. Corey and Betsy were in Ravensbrook. It was a, for women. Same practices as Auschwitz or any of the other camps. After the war ended in 45, she began a ministry of having people come to places where they could be healed and experience forgiveness and give forgiveness again because this was the only way to set them free from the incredibly destructive, horrible, dishuman things that happened to them in that war and in those camps. On one of her speaking tours in 1947, she was actually in Munich, Germany. And this is actually where the movement kind of started for Hitler. It's where his thugs kind of came from. And when she was there, she was speaking again about forgiveness and how this is the only possible way for healing to really work in your life. There's no other way. And if you go judgment, you will lose. If you go mercy, you will win. After the meeting was dismissed, she saw a man sitting out there and he had a brown felt hat and he, in between his legs, and he was head down, a balding man, a big man, and he got up and started to walk towards her at the front, going through the crowd as they were exiting. And the closer he got, she right away recognized him. And she saw him as he was there, but immediately in her mind's eye, she gets this picture of him with the visor cap, with a skull and crossbones on it, with the whip along the side. It all came back with a rush. Let me read a quote from her book to you. The huge room at the concentration camp called Ravensbrück with its harsh overhead lights and pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking past, naked past, this man came back. The man who was making his way forward had been a guard, one of the most cruel guards. Now he was in front of me. His hand thrust out a fine message following how good it is to know, as you say, that our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, she says, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner amongst thousands of women? But I remembered him. The leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. He said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He was saying to her, I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But that, since that time he went on, I've become a Christian. 
And I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there, but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? I stood there. I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and I could not forgive. My sister Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there hand held out, but it seemed to me hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing that I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but also as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, to, to no matter what their physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and horrible as that. Still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. Would you supply the feeling? So woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arm. It sprang into our joined hands. Then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I have never known God's love so intensely as I did then. That is a very challenging story. It's challenging because that reaches to a depth of forgiveness that many times we don't have to go to. And when we only have to forgive somebody for an argument or things said or things that we've kept but they really weren't that big from back there, when we hold on to those things, this can seem to just minimize those. But you know, it's a lot of work to forgive at every level. It's a heart work. It's a disciplined work of letting go. Letting go is not an emotional first driven thing. It's a practical, pragmatic, strategic way of being free and happy. She had to let go of the grudge. It's very difficult. Forgiveness is not forgetting. A lot of people have got this ringing in their head. It's a saying, forgiven, forget. No, this is not the Bible. This is not the teaching on forgiveness. In fact, we get the opposite. 2 Timothy 4, 14 through 15, Paul the Apostle, he says this about a guy that really wronged him very big time. Alexander, Alexander the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. 
This is hard. If you try to be somebody that can just forget, you can't do that. That's repression. That's pushing things down, trying to get them out of my memory. Forgiveness is not the act of forgetting. You will remember the pain. Corey will remember the injustice. You're going to be wronged in this life very deeply, maybe quite repeatedly. When it comes to forgetting, you will not be able to forget what happened. But you can certainly forget to be the judge. Because your heart was set free through giving the mercy. Because you received mercy. Forgiveness is not trusting. A lot of people get this mixed up. Well, if I forgive, I don't want to trust him or her or them or... Again, and it gives us excuse to disconnect and pull back and one go through the screen door into the house and one stay out on the porch. It really gives us an advantage of pulling away. But when does Christian faith give us an advantage of pulling away from offering mercy? But you don't have to trust. Trust is an earned measure. It's measured out. You trust because you've got the markers. Trusting is not some blind action on our behalf. Trusting is a whole different action than forgiving. Forgiving is recognizing you are not the judge and you have received mercy so you will give what you have received and that is your practice. Trusting is something in every relationship you learn to trust at the level of the strength of the relationship and the strength of the person. Forgiveness is letting it go to God. Letting it go to God. You've got to change ownership. It was in 19 or 2014 that this tragedy took place in South Carolina where a man walked into that Bible study prayer meeting. You may remember the headlines in the story and he shot and killed nine people at that church. In this case, just because of their color. The church was Bethel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. But what he experienced was genuine, honest, real forgiveness. At the arraignment, just a few days later, after he being arrested for this crime, the church showed up and expressed the kind of forgiveness that the world is not used to seeing. At the arraignment, a lady by the name of Nadine Collier, whose mother was killed, said to the perpetrator, I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But God forgives you, so I forgive you. 
Do you know what the New York Times wrote about that moment? It was as if the Bible study had never ended. As one after another, the victim's family members offered lessons on forgiveness, testaments to a faith that is not compromised by violence or grief. The Wall Street Journal called it a miracle. It is. It is that rare to forgive when there's such violence and grief is so profound. But when we let it go to God and we let him have ownership of it, you are trusting that God is both the mercy giver and he is the judge and that you are in no position to take over his job. The Bible says in Colossians 3.13, remember the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others. How can you eat this meal and not share uh, and give the same meal to another hungry person? How can you receive what he gives you and not pass on that to somebody else who is in need of it? Let it go to God. You must let go of your grudges. Just shortly now, just a couple of other things you're going to have to let go of if you're going to get the freedom and the happiness in your relationships. Your relationships are going to have energy in the present. Is largely letting go of everything on the end of this rope. And another thing that's on the end of this rope is I must let go of my grief. We've all had losses in life. I've walked with a lot of people in loss. Loss is one of those things that is so difficult in life. And the reason that it is is because we get such holes in our life from those that we have lost. And there's a grieving. But it's not just people. You might have lost a business and you're grieving. You may have lost a son or daughter to this world right now, but then you are grieving. Losses. I must let go of my grief. How do you do that? Well, I'm going to give you three things to do, but first let's read 2 Samuel 12, 16 and 18. The stories about David who lost the son conceived with Bathsheba. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent nights lying on the ground. On the seventh day, the child died. He was grieving so deeply that the servants were afraid to tell him when the child died. They didn't want to be the ones because they thought it'd push him right over the edge. That's how he was in grief. Let's learn three things to do from him. First, accept what cannot be changed. Then David got up from the ground. He said, well, the child was still alive. While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back to life? Oh man, it's a brutal reality. But the more that you bring yourself into the acceptance of that loss, that reality, the more that you are gonna find your heart able to pick itself up and begin to move on because it must. 
because you cannot bring him back. You cannot bring her back. You cannot bring them back. You cannot bring back the business. You can't bring back the tragedy economically. You can't bring that back. It's gone. But if you stay in grief that moves more into negative self-centered expressions of hurt, you will find that you will lack any energy to be able to pick up and move on. Accept what cannot be changed. There are realities in our life. Nobody likes them. We hate them. We don't want them. We want to avoid them at all costs, but they do come our way and they will come our way. But you must first accept what cannot be changed. You do not have the power to recuperate that. Now you can drag it along on a rope or you can let it go. Second, when you go through these kinds of losses and grief is really strong, don't inflame it, pray it. 2 Samuel 12, 20 says, after he had washed, put on lotion and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Some of you are really, some of you are really grieving over your past decisions and loss of lifestyle and you're looking at life and saying, boy, I wish I had. I wish I hadn't, because I wasted a lot of my life. A lot of people get stuck in loss with the idea of waste. Hear me this morning. Hear this. Don't inflame it. You pray it. He gets up. He washes. He puts on lotion. He changes his clothes. It so stuns the servants. They have to ask him, what is going on here? And he gives them the, the thing that, well, I, now it's over. It's a closed chapter. Uh, they're dead. Can I bring them back to life? No. I will go to be with him though. You focus on what's left, not what is lost. 2 Samuel 12, 24 says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. Did you know Solomon was born out of that? What if he had never regained that grief? What if she didn't re, you know, regain the joy of life again? What if she didn't pick it up again? No Solomon. But God had a plan. And out of your loss, God will bring gain, but he must have the ownership of that. You must give it up. You must let it go. You got a lot left more than you think. You've got a lot left in days and months and years. You've got opportunity ahead so much, no matter what the loss is, whether it's a person, whether it's, it's financial, whether it's health, whether it's finance. Focus on what's left, not what is lost. The third thing and last thing today is I must let go of guilt. This is a biggie. I must let go of guilt. Guilt is one of those things that produces nothing good for you except on the first emergence to say, check this, check your life. You need when guilt comes to do the right kind of things in that moment, not stick it on the end of a rope and keep hauling it into the future because that shapes your responses and reactions in every relationship, in everything that's ahead of you. Right now, 
The you that you're taking into relationships is not the you that God has intended you to be because you're hauling along these things which cause you to live with downplaying every risk possible, taking it so safe, never stepping out, loneliness setting in, but I'm powerless to do that, looking for all the energy to come without to pick your life out rather than recover the energy and build your life. See, we're all going to have these. There's nobody in this room right now, nobody watching online right now that has not had these kind of losses. And grief is going to be part of your journey. But guilt, this is the one. This is something that you've got to deal with strongly. There are two options for you. First, condemnation which produces fatalism. There's no hope. We're talking about fresh hope. There's no hope. I'm wounded, I'm scarred for life. I've done this, it's on my record sheet. It's condemnation. There's no way out of this. When you're hauling along condemnation, you do not have any capacity to live with any kind of happiness or freedom. It binds you up with the tightest of chains. Matthew 27, three and five, you know this guy. When Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. Guilt. So the first option, it says, then he went out and hang himself. There's more than one way to hang yourself. This guy just took his life. He saw no light at the end of his tunnel. All he saw was what he had done. And his only response, rather than saying, God, mercy, he just said, give me judgment. And he became his own judge. He sentenced himself. That isn't God's sentence that he should do that to himself. That was his sentence upon himself. And that's what condemnation is like. It's like you are, you are the prosecutor and you are the sentencing judge. And you sentence yourself and in doing that you sentence your future. You sentence your present. All because of what was there in the past. Don't do this. But there is a second option. Confession. You know what confession is? It's just agreement with God. Matthew 26, 75 says, when Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken, You're going to deny me three times, buddy, before the rooster's going to call out in the morning. Just hours from now. You're going to have denied me three times. Three times. Not once, three. Repeated. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, surely there's no hope for me. I just keep repeating the same thing. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter then began a journey of confession. He was weak. He had done the wrong thing and he went through just a lot of pain until finally he went, was by Jesus 
call and permission, able to just let go. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. And each time he said, if you love me, then go and serve me. You go feed other people that need the good news, that need mercy. You go feed mercy out there, Peter. You go feed the story of mercy and goodness that comes through my cross. Peter, you get on the mercy bandwagon and take it out there. And Peter did. And what opened all that up to Peter? Confession. Oh, not to some man, that's not confession. Confession to God. Agreeing with God. And saying, yes, you were right, I was wrong. You, you were right, you said three, it was three. Your pride wants to buy into condemnation. Humbleness will take you to confession because it's agreement that you need God's mercy. You must let go of your guilt. You have every right to do so because of what Jesus has done for us. This most amazing story of grace, undeserved kindness that you didn't earn. This amazing story that the one that you've offended the most, which is God himself, has given himself for you to take your punishment. Now, if you've been a believer a long time, that can get sort of like, yeah, 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 yeah. I hope you get a little fresh hope today because if you're hauling along a bunch of things back over here that we've been talking about this morning, you're losing your energy and your life is not filled with happiness. Your life is not filled with the kinds of things that God wants to really bring and you're not free. Relationships, that practice letting go, get freedom. Nations, that practice letting go, get freedom. Businesses that practice letting go get freedom. You want to bring freedom and you want to bring joy or happiness in? Then you cannot hold on to the things that he says, let it go. Oh, there's that stupid song in my head again. So a question for you today. If you think God has spoken to you today in your life, in your heart, if the Holy Spirit's been nudging you on some stuff, what is it that he's nudging you on right now? What do you need to let go of? For many of us are believers in the Lord, but we're, we got a long rope out here. I mean, we needed to get extra rope because we're hauling along all this. You need to let it go. You say, well, I've, I tried to let go, or I've forgiven them. You know, there is a forgiveness that you give and you know, but there's still the practices of hanging on so that I have the protection in place just in case. Let it go. Give it to God. Don't share it with God. Give it to God. You do that, you're going to start experiencing freedom that in a moment of a handshake, a woman says, I have never felt God's love like that. And that, my friends, 
is happiness and freedom. She was free from the image of the swastika. She was free from what they had done. She was free and she was happy because she felt the love of God in a way that would not have been felt without the practice of God to give mercy. Maybe you just need to give more mercy. But you've got to let it go. You might be here today and you felt something here today. You may not be a Christian, one that has received or surrendered your life. You've not let go of your life. You still are the one in charge fully. You've not let go of your life to the Lord. I would suggest that you respect the nudges that you're feeling right now and let go and give it to God. Give your life to the Lord. Give your life to the Lord. Surrender your life to the Lord and begin a practice uh, living a life that truly has freedom and happiness. Would you stand with me please? Let's just all bow our heads. Whatever decision you need to make today, would you make it in this moment? Don't delay these kinds of decisions because all that will happen is the clouds are going to roll back in, the clear sky will not be there, and you're going to hang on to that rope with everything else you're hauling along. So if you're making a decision as a Christian, you're already a Christian. But you're making a decision that it's time. I got to let it go. I don't want to cycle like I saw on the screen constantly repeating itself. I really want to have the happiness and the freedom and the intimacies and the deepness of relationship that I was meant to have in my human relationships. I need to be free from being the judge and be a mercy giver. I need to really get to the other side of the page. then your prayer is real simple. God, I surrender all the stuff on the other end of this rope. You might remember them. I did an inventory on my own before preaching this message so that I could go back on things I knew I had forgiven, but have I really let go? And there was a few things I needed to let go of. But I want energy in life. I want to live in the present you need to do that. Make that decision. Give him that prayer right now. Say, God, help me. Lord Jesus, deliver me from it. Now, there may be many of you here today that you've never given your life to the Lord. But you know there's a nudge. Make this your day. Surrender your life to him. Give it to him. I'll give you a little prayer that does that. It's a surrender prayer. And it'll be something like this. You pray it in the quietness of your own heart right now, just before him. He reads every thought. He's got you. It would be, Lord, I certainly don't understand it all, but I know that something has spoken to me today and I need to surrender my life to you. I want to give it to you all, Lord. 
every bit of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, every little bit of it. And I ask you to come and forgive me for the sins of my life, past, present, future. Because I give it to you, because I don't want to be the judge of others or even the judge of myself. I want to be a mercy giver. So I receive your mercy for my sins. I ask you to come and be the, the CEO, the leader, the Lord of my life. And Lord, help me with what's on the end of the rope to begin that letting go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.